when I finished this message, I turned to my wife and I said, this is going to be a very hard message. She said, well, the whole series of Jonah hasn't been a joy ride. <laughs> I know she has spoken for so many of us, and I know she's spoken for me. Because one thing you can be sure about is the sermon before I bring you the application has already been gone through me and been applied in my life before I bring it here. And consequently, it is not something that I declare to you dispassionately. (laughs) My heart and soul had already been integrated with this message. In fact, this particular message, I found myself before God asking myself the question. The question is posed to me by the Lord and by the Holy Spirit. Have I ever been angry with God for His mercy and grace? (laughs) Ask yourself that question sometime. Because after a thorough examination, you're going to discover, you know, when you have to be honest with God, you can't fake it with God, and you have to come up with some answers that you may not like, as I did. And my answer was no and yes. No, I've never been angry with God at any time when I received mercy from His hand for me. I have never been angry with God when I've received mercy from His hand for my family. I've never been angry with God for the mercy that we have received as I pray for you, as we pray for one another, and we see answers to prayer. In fact, to the contrary, I have a discipline by which I mark these things down, and I constantly go back to the Lord and give thanks to the Lord for answered prayer. So I give thanks to the Lord for showing mercy. So no, I don't get angry with God for His mercy. So what is that yes? What is that yes all about? Well, the yes is about the times when I get angry with God for having mercy over deceitful politicians who are deceiving this nation. Yes, has to do with the times when I get angry with God for so-called church leaders who have deceiving so many people in the congregations about the truth of the gospel. Oh yes, there is a yes. Yes to the times when I became angry with God for having mercy upon people who are torturing and killing Christians around the world. God, why do you bless these people, at least materially anyway? In fact, the times when I really feel like James and John, remember in the book of Luke chapter 9, Jesus sent James and John into a Samaritan village to make reservation there in a hotel, and, and, and the Samaritans just would not make reservation. They did not want Jesus and his crowd to come in. And John just went outside of town here and his brother James, they were called the sons of thunder for a reason. (laughs) They were waiting for Jesus to get in because, you know, they'd been steaming, they'd been fuming, and they're waiting for Jesus to get in there and said, okay, call down fire from heaven, wipe them out. Have you ever been there? I sure have. (laughs) Come on now. (laughs) Don't play polite with me. But you know what my comfort (laughs) is that John of all the disciples, later on in his life, wrote more about love and mercy than any of them. So I have have hope. (laughs) 
And I think one of the balances that those of us who have a passion for God and have passion for the gospel and are zealous for God, one of the balances that God is calling every one of us to is to balance that with equal amount of compassion. Because it's very easy to get angry with God for having mercy on those whom we deem as undeserving of His mercy. It is very easy for me to pick and choose who should receive the mercy of God and who shouldn't. It is so easy for me to select who is a candidate for God's mercy and who's not. It's very easy. There's one problem. God never asks my opinion. <laughs> oh, true, I have volunteered many times. <laughs> but I want to tell you, I want to tell God who are the good guys and who are the bad guys, as if God doesn't know. In fact, uh, talking about prejudice and, and our own feelings, how they blind us in, in, in many ways to understanding the mercy of God, I, I thought of a story I heard some time ago about an Irish cop who saw a speeding car. And man, he couldn't wait to stop that car. Got his citation book and stopped the guy. I mean, he was ready to throw the book at him. Until he looked inside the car and he saw it was a priest. And then he put his citation book away and he said, Now, Father, I stopped you just to tell you (laughs) that the cop in the next light is a Protestant. (laughs) He was ready. How true of his human nature, the way, the way it is. And even those of us who love the Lord, we are not immune. We want to tell God what to do, who to bless, who, who to have mercy over, who doesn't. In fact, uh, some of you might have heard the name Ian Paisley. Ian Paisley, one of the strongest militant Protestant uh, leader in Northern Ireland. Uh, an Irishman told me this story several years ago. And the story goes that Reverend Ian Paisley died and went to heaven. And when he got to heaven, the apostle Peter said to him, he said, Now, Ian, could you fill in for me just for a few minutes? He said, Well, what do I do? He said, Well, as soon as a person comes in, ask them a simple Bible knowledge question. If they answer it, let them in. If they don't, send them down. So the <laughs> first person came in was a Protestant. So Ian said to him, he said, What's the name of the, of the first man in the Bible? He said, Adam. Great, get in. Next person comes in, also a Protestant. He said, Okay. What's the first woman in the Bible? The person said, well, Eve. He said, great, get in. Well, the next person was a Catholic priest. Well, I'm not picking a Catholic priest, but I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you, this is, this, this, this is a true story as far as the Irish are concerned. <laughs> <laughs> so Ian scratched his head and, and he said, uh, he said, you know your Bible, eh? He said, yeah, kind of with indignant response. And he said... Do you know the story of the miracle of feeding of the 5,000? He said, of course I do. He said, okay, name them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to tell you that the story of Jonah is really not a story about Jonah, but it is a story about the mercies of God. From beginning to end, that book is about God's compassion. That book is about God's mercy. That book is about God's sovereignty. That book is about God's grace. 
First, we saw his mercy shown to Jonah himself by being commissioned to go out and preach to the Ninevites. Then we saw God's mercy to Jonah when he rebelled and disobeyed God, and he was thrown into the belly of the great fish. And when he repented, God delivered him. We saw the mercy of God manifested when these pagan sailors repented and turned to Yahweh and cried to him. They were saved. We saw ultimately the greatest of all mercies when the greatest revival in history was shown to the savage people of Nineveh when they repented and turned to the Lord and they were saved. It's a book about mercy from beginning to end. Just as we saw in the last message how God's mercy upon the Ninevites, when they repented, led to the saving of their city. Turn with me, please, if you haven't already in your Bibles. Chapter 4, the book of Jonah. Where do we see Jonah? I mean, he, here in this chapter, we find him after the greatest revival in history. After the greatest transformation of people who were the most wicked people on the face of the earth to worship Yahweh, the living God. We see him in chapter 4, after this incredible spiritual experience, not jumping for joy, but singing the blues. Why? (laughs) Why is Jonah so miserable? Well, for starter... God did not live up to Jonah's expectations. God did not do what Jonah wanted him to do. God let Jonah down by not destroying Nineveh. And Jonah was disappointed. So disappointed, in fact, to the point of death. Jonah was so angry with God to the point of beginning to rationalize his former disobedience, beginning to rationalize his former rebellion. Look at it, verses 2 and 3 of chapter 4. What is he saying? Here's what he's saying, really. He said, God, I was right all along for not wanting to go to Nineveh. God, I had a feeling that you are going to spare that city. God, I really had a sneaking suspicion that you are going to have mercy on them, and I don't like it. I wanted you to zap them, but you saved them. Have you ever been in a situation where things just did not work out the way you wanted to work out? And the devil comes in, and he lets you use that as an excuse for sin, for disobedience, for rebellion a life of impurity before God, for unfaithfulness to your spouse. Have you ever been there? God, things did not turn out the way I want them to turn out. Please listen carefully. One of the most important lessons in life for those of us who love God. Now, if you're not a believer... I'm not talking to you right now, okay? I want to talk to those who love God. One of the most important lessons in life is that we have to learn day after day after day until the day we die is that God is God and we are not. Now, I know that comes as a disappointment to some of you. (laughs) It comes as a disappointment to me. 
But that is the lesson that the Lord wants us to learn again and again and again until we come to the point of total surrender. Let me make a confession to you. Those few times, those rare times, in which I'm angry with God regarding His mercy toward His enemies, are very frightening times for me. They are very frightening times for me. Short as they are in duration, they're frightening. And they should be. Let me tell you why. When I use the Scripture to tell God to stop having mercy on the wicked, I am doing three frightening things. Number one, I am identifying with Satan who quoted the Scripture to the Lord Jesus Christ in the wilderness in order to get Jesus be tempted to do what Satan wanted Jesus to do. That should be very frightening. And the second thing, it is frightening because it appears that I know more than God. And the third reason why this is frightening to me personally is because... I am being blinded to the fact that if it were not for the mercies of God, I would not be right here today. In fact, listen carefully, this is a diabolical method of using the Scripture to tempt God or try to tempt God and act superior to God. And that is very diabolical method that is used by the so-called liberal theologians, apostate theologians, in order to twist the Scripture and to deny the authority of the Scripture. This diabolical way of dealing with God places us above God. This diabolical way of dealing with God and His Word places us in a superior position. And I want to tell you that this frightening feeling always leads me to repentance. Don't ever fall in the trap of thinking that repentance is only for those who are not Christians, who are not believers. Repentance belongs to the Christians. And if you ever think you're too big to repent, you either don't know Jesus or you're in trouble. I know in those rare times... When that happens, it takes a split second for me to recognize what I have just done. And I bow my head and I said, oh God, forgive me. I have sinned against you. In my wickedness have criticized you. I have questioned you. Please forgive me. My beloved friends, listen to me very carefully. There's something comical here. It's really comical. Jonah was not only angry with God for having mercy on the Ninevites, but he wanted God to kill him. He was angry enough, he wanted to die. It's like Elijah. He runs miles away from Jezebel. And then he gets there, down to the Gaza desert, and then he says, God, now kill me. Wait a minute, if you wanted to die, you could have stayed there, and Jezebel would have done a good job. (laughs) You know. It's comical, isn't it? I mean, if, if he were there, he just could have drowned himself right there in the belly of the whale. But he cried to the Lord, and the Lord delivered him. 
Jonah seemed to be so miserable when he should have been so happy. Jonah seemed to be so discontented when he should have been very contented. Jonah wanted to die after witnessing with his own eyes one of the greatest miracles of all times, one of the great revivals in history. Why is that? I want to tell you why. Whether you want to know why or not, I'm going to tell you why. Because I want to tell you that Jonah and his problem is the same as many of us who are in the church of Jesus Christ. Who are discontented in the midst of abounding blessings. Jonah's problem is the same as many of us. Who are restless when we've got everything. Jonah's problem is the same as many of us who think that more and different is going to make us happy. Then we get the more and the different and we are more miserable. Why is it? Why discontentment and restlessness in the midst of blessings? Why is that? Listen carefully to this answer, because if you blink, you're going to miss it. And yet, I pray that will change your life forever. The answer is this. You have not reconciled your life with the will of God. And that is why, no matter what you get, or how much you have, or where you go, you will always be discontented. Jonah had been opposed to the will of God from the very beginning. And being opposed to the will of God in your life is like a nail in your shoe. You might wear a thousand dollar pair of shoes, but if the nail has not been reconciled to the will of God, it's irritating the dickens out of you. I mean, it's frustrating you. I mean, sometimes even, like Jonah, have a death wish. Listen to me, my beloved friends. When you are angry with God because of the parents that He had given you, or the family you grew up in, when you're angry with God... Because of your past pain and suffering. When you are angry with God. Because of your unperceived unfairness of life. When you are angry with God. Because of your background. When you are angry with God. Because of your past struggle. When you are angry with God. Because of whatever happened in your life. No matter how successful or how rich or how blessed you may be. You are still discontented and restless. And you might even be like Jonah. So angry with God you want to die. But when you recognize, not just in your head, but all over you, in your heart, in your spirit, in your soul, when you recognize that God gave you the parents He gave you, For a purpose. That God gave you the family He gave you. For a purpose. That God gave you the background that He gave you. For a purpose. That God has given you your past. For a purpose. When you will do that, you will have the spirit of contentment. If you don't, 
you will always be unhappy. You will always be ungrateful. Oh, you pay an intellectual ascent to the fact, oh, I'm blessed, but deep down you're not. When you are not consoling yourself to the will of God in your life, you will never have a real, genuine appreciation for the mercy of God. You will never have a real, genuine appreciation for the grace of God. You can own the world, but inside you're discontented. When you have not reconciled the will of God in your life, You're going to have a memory like a sieve, always forgetting God's mercies, always forgetting God's blessings, and you're looking for the next one, and the next one, and the next one. And you forget all that you've had been given. No matter what God does for you, you're going to forget it so fast. So what is Jonah's solution to the problem? (laughs) Jonah's solution was quit! Just quit again. Run away again. Build yourself a private retreat and stay there. (laughs) What does that mean? It means that Jonah is declaring his independence from God. That's what he really is doing here. Look at verse 5. You you want to know what verse 5 is really saying? (laughs) Verse 5 is really saying, God, I'm going to sit on the fence. God, I'm going to see how... You're going to get yourself out of this trouble all by yourself without my help. Here's what Jonah's saying. He's saying, God, I am going to wash my hands. I'm going to resign from the human race. Lord, I'm going to resign from life. I'm going not help anybody. I'm not going to do anything for anyone. God, I am not going to witness for you anymore. (laughs) Comedian Flip Wilson when it was asked one time what religion he was, he said, I'm a Jehovah's bystander. So, said, what? Jehovah's bystander? What's that mean? He said, well, they asked me to be a Jehovah's witness, but I don't want to get involved. <laughs> like these two guys were in a golf course having a conversation. And one guy looked at his buddy and he said, you know, he said, one day... I would like to ask God why he allows poverty. Why does he allow injustice? Why does he allow unbelief to run rampant in the world when he can do something about it? Well, the other guy said to him, he said, well, why don't you? Just go ahead and ask him. Why don't you ask him? He said, well, I'm afraid that God might ask me the same thing. God might be asking you the same thing. What are you doing about it? My beloved friends, let me tell you something. It is easy to withdraw from the human race. It's easy to pull out and stay out. It's easy to abandon God's mission and call upon your life. It is easy to become a deserter of God's army. It's easy. So how God deals with Jonah's rotten disposition. I mean, basically, Jonah was pouting. I mean, you know, have you ever seen people pout? <laughs> Man, if you have children, you understand what I'm talking about. I mean, you know, bounding up and down, and slam the drawer, and just pouting. That's what he's doing. He's pouting. 
how does God deal with that rotten disposition? Well, he gave him a practical lesson. <laughs> he didn't give him a sermon. He gave him a practical lesson. I think Jonah was not ready for more sermons. He, he just about had enough sermons. <laughs> and he was ready for real practical experience. So out of compassion, God spreads a fast-growing vine over Jonah's little retreat to protect him from the blazing heat of the sun of the desert. Look at verse 6. Because here in verse 6, you're going to find Jonah happy for the first time ever. (laughs) Jonah has not really been happy before. We've not seen him happy. I mean, he was unhappy with God's commissioning him. He was unhappy with the storm that he, he experienced. He was unhappy with being inside the great fish. He was unhappy with the second commissioning. He was unhappy with the repentance of the Ninevites. He was unhappy with God having mercy on the wicked Ninevites after they repented. He just is an unhappy person. For the first time here in verse 6 of chapter 4, he's happy. He's going to be sheltered from the blazing sun. But don't hold your breath. (laughs) This happiness is a short-lived one. It really is. It's not going to last. It's a temporary happiness. But he was happy nonetheless. Well, finally, Jonah is happy. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Why is he happy? Well, finally God is doing something for Jonah. <laughs> come on now. Finally, God has, has come to his senses and taken care of Jonah. Oh, don't call me selfish. <laughs> I just want my piece of the pie. Don't call me selfish. I just want my place in the sun. Having my vine in the sun <laughs> was getting what is due to me. What God owes me. Well, you know, the Lord has a sense of humor. He really does. I am telling you, I know in the way he deals with me. He has a sense of humor. The next day, the vine weathers quickly. Just disappears. As fast as it came off, it took off. (laughs) And this time, Jonah really gets miffed. I mean, really, really wants to die this time. It's for real. (laughs) Have you ever met people like this? The moment they get a headache, they call the undertaker. You know, it's it's all over. You know, God, well, I know you know people like that. I mean, the moment they have a problem, ah, it's all over. It's all over. (laughs) I want you to go back with me for a second about the root of Jonah's anger with God and the discontentment that I've just talked about. Just for a couple of seconds. I want you to focus on that again. See, when you have not reconciled yourself to the will of God in your life, your anger will go from bad to worse. And the periods of happiness are going to get shorter and shorter, and shorter. When you have not reconciled yourself to the will of God in your life and the plan of God in your life from the cradle to the grave, your anger will go in a downward spiral. First, you're angry at the big things, and before long, you're angry at the little things. They irritate you. 
What is God teaching Jonah here? Well, look at verses 9, 10, and 11 of Jonah chapter 4. Jonah had become so self-centered that he cared more for his precious little vine than the converting and the saving of 120,000 people plus cattle. I pray to God, I literally would hope to God that no one is hearing me ever get to that situation. But I want you to ask yourself the question that I believe with all my heart that God has left in this book for every one of you. Not one can say that is not for me. Every single person must ask yourself the question. God asks Jonah that question, and with that question the book concludes. I pray, I beg you before God, you'll never rest tonight until you answer the question. And let me put the question in the modern day vernacular. Is your love for your garden or your pet greater than your love for the lost people of the world? Is your compassion for the lost who do not know Jesus Christ and have no near neighbor to tell them about Jesus Christ is the same as that compassion that Jesus has for them? This is the question that God asked Jonah. And that is why it was left for the last verse of the book. And there's a reason why this question was never answered in the Bible. Because it is left for every one of us to answer that question to God. Not your spouse, not your pastor, not to your Bible study, to God. The book winds up with a question. You know, several years ago, I remember saying to the Lord, God, give me passion for the lost. Little did I know that millions of people who would never have heard the gospel in places that you have never been to, will never will, there will be. Thousands of people giving their life to Christ. It's so unique in the history of all missions as far as I'm concerned. When thousands upon thousands of people of the Muslim faith and other faiths coming to Christ and believing in Him. The simple message on radio. Times I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed. You put that prayer in your heart said, God, give me passion for your gospel, compassion for your people. See what He can do. You will be amazed. I want to let you ponder this question that God had asked Jonah. Do you spend more on your leisure than on world evangelism? Do you value your little luxuries more than the lost people of the world? Do you? Do you care more for your own pampering than for the kingdom of God. Please, answer the question, not to me, but to God. Father, I know the enemy is hardening some hearts and putting some barriers and objections. 
but I thank you that you have promised a special blessings for those who have ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying. It is my imploring you this day that not one single person who heard that probing question that you have paused your servant Jonah years ago would shrug it off. Oh God, we know that when we sit under the Word of God and be challenged Sunday after Sunday and do not respond, that we are developing spiritual calluses. Forbid it, oh God, we pray. Father, don't allow the enemy to come and block the impact of this Word. Don't allow the enemy to come and snatch the seed of the Word. And oh Father, let me feel your passion and your compassion that oh God I must serve you with all of my being and with all of my resources for oh God I pray this in Jesus name Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.